How long have I got? 30 seconds. Okay, there's an amazing offer for Sky Q I have to tell you about. Imagine having all of Sky TV, new originals and box sets together with all of Netflix. Plus you get Spotify, YouTube and Catch Up TV like RTE Player. Sky Q has everything you love in one place. It just makes life easy. Oh, and it's less than you think. Search Sky 30 to find out more. New Sky TV customers only. Set up fees, minimum term and further terms apply. Hi everybody, I'm Chloe Maidley and welcome back to the podcast series three. For those of you that don't know, this is the podcast where I speak to professional athletes, coaches, physique competitors and all experts in the field of health and fitness. I'm really excited that you guys are joining me. So without further ado, here we go. Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast series three. My guest today is no stranger to this podcast. Uh, This is her third time here and it is fair to say that she is and always has been one of my favorite people in the industry. Add to that, she is now my friend and also my business partner and also my coaching partner. In case you haven't figured it out already, it's Emma Story Gordon. Hello, thank you for having me back. It does feel nostalgic. It's like a little time hop of how our relationship has grown over the years. I know, and my oh my, how it has grown from where we started. And I said to Emma after the the first episode of the the podcast that it was my favorite one and I wanted her to come back. And she came back for series two and I said it was my favorite one and I wanted her to come back. And then the next conversation we had was Emma asking me, Uh, if I would like to do an online coaching kind of experiment with her. And it's gone very well, hasn't it, Em? It has. It's gone better than we ever could have expected, really. I know. I was saying uh, on James's podcast, What a Flank, the other day, that like we have like a near enough 100% success rate, whether it's like mental changes, like to relationship with food or relationship with your body or like physique changes. So people who've come in looking, quote unquote, normal, are leaving the EC method looking like physique athletes it's crazy and it's like either one or the other or both and I just think yeah we're very proud aren't we we are and it's so much fun to do it as well and just hearing like people's feedback like you said not just the physical changes but more the mental changes how they feel about food but also how they feel about themselves and their bodies and I think that comes from having a community of like-minded people and I guess some of the social norms that we set up in the group about like not talking negatively about your body about it coming from a place of love as opposed to a place from like from a place of hate and I think that's a massive topic in itself like the why is so important and the same action can have completely different consequences or completely different impact depending on what the why is so even if you look at things like self-care which is like a bit of a buzzword especially with COVID and things that everyone's like make sure you're doing some form of self-care Now, self-care could be going for a run, but equally, Mm -hmm. if you're going for a run because you're trying to run off the calories that you ate in the pizza that you had and you feel guilt and shame about that, that isn't self-care. Like, that's not going to make you feel better. Self-punishment. Yeah, it is. It's effectively punishment. But if you're doing it because you're like, oh, yeah, I know it's good for my body. It makes me feel good. It gives me some endorphins. And I don't feel like I need to do it or that it's punishment or that there's shame and guilt around it. 
it it's the same action but with a different why has a completely different outcome yeah and I, I think you know that also applies to the big the bigger picture uh and the bigger context of self-care but I think that a lot of the time people really punish their bodies because they think that that is the normal route to being fit and healthy and they don't seem to really always understand that being fit and healthy encompasses your mental health your emotional health your physical health your social health in some cases medicinal health and it's so interesting that a lot of people let all of that fall by the wayside just to make sure that they feel like they're aesthetically in shape which is not being healthy agreed agreed yeah so I love it that you actually already brought up this year I just wanted you to talk about how you found this year in terms of lockdown and COVID and work and like your own stuff. How have you found 2020? I mean, you know me that like I try and play a bit of a game in life where even in the worst situations, I'm like, there must be some kind of positive I can draw from this. So I think one building business has been massive in terms of like how I've dealt with it. I've not found it as hard as I think a lot of people have. And I think that puts us in a really good position to support other people. Because if you're not really struggling yourself, it gives you a hell of a lot more energy to give to others. I don't know what my advice would be for people sort of struggling with the the pandemic, apart from like, there are things you can control and there are things you can't control. And identifying what those are and putting your energy where it can actually benefit you is going to be the most productive for you. We're, we're very good at complimenting each other as coaches and for our clients and also just for each other, like as business partners. Emma is incredibly good. She has quite an athlete mentality at basically exactly what she said, finding the silver lining in every situation. So she recently had some really bad problems with her back um, and chronic pain. And she went as far as to have surgery right in the middle of what was it, round two of the EC method. Yeah. Hundreds of clients. She didn't take one day off because she's amazing. And Emma's got a real talent and a real knack for seeing the good in every situation, whether it's the fact that she can build a business because now she's got loads of free time because we're all in lockdown or whether it's the fact that you know she has an option to help her back pain by going in for back surgery she's always finding the positive Emma I wanted you to talk about kind of your positive mental attitude and how you really try and force it into motion because you're the first person to say it's not necessarily like this natural thing that always happens I have to put it in motion yeah I think a lot of people think that positivity is innate like oh Emma's just a positive person she's always been that way it just like must come naturally and I don't think that's true I think it's always a choice and it's a choice that you will probably have to make multiple times a day and really for me the big turning point was realizing that it's a choice because I think we like I said we're so ingrained to think that our feelings like we can't control our feelings or that we can't control our thoughts or that things just happen and how we respond we don't have control over that but actually we have so much control over all of these things and I don't like this sort of toxic positivity where it's like forced on someone like if if it isn't authentic then it it was not going to work and you see this a lot with gratitude where if you force someone to say what they're grateful for every day like you know when people do 30 days of gratitude or something and by day four they're just like I'm so grateful for this pen because it means I can write things (laughs) and you're like no you're not like it doesn't mean anything anymore so when you're just sort of like fostering positivity that you don't actually feel or gratitude that you don't actually feel on top of negative emotions I don't think that works but I think questioning why you feel that negative emotion and actually getting to the bottom of that that's what works like I think recently as well I felt this like a little bit 
angry or frustrated and often I'll just feel that and not not question why I'm feeling it and then sometimes it goes sometimes it stays for a while whereas if you sit down and think like actually what is it I have to be frustrated about and can I do anything about that if the answer is yes do the thing if the answer is no then you kind of just have to let that go as hard as that might be like I know it's not as simple as just letting things go but a lot of the time we just once we accept that there's nothing we can do about something that's like the first stage to moving on from it I I could not agree more and Emma and I have talked about this on we do like three podcasts a week with the EC method for our clients so that they never feel like they're like left in the lurch or alone Emma and I really try to make sure that we are there kind of present in their lives as much as possible and I think we do a really good job of it um but we've talked about this several times on 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 the podcast is that I didn't realize until quite recently that anybody and everybody is susceptible to depression in my world I think my generation kind of grew up thinking that depression was a chemical imbalance in the brain and you had to go on medication and that was depression open and shut and it was only recently actually did I discover upon talking to a a very brilliant professional that it's not everybody and anybody is capable of falling into a pit of depression and it can be triggered by anything it's something as kind of quote unquote trivial as a breakup to something as impactful as a death or a grievance. And absolutely everybody can slip into it. And that doesn't mean that everybody needs medication. Exactly what Emma says. It means you have to take steps to start to address and cope with the problem if you're ever going to come out of it. And one of the things they say is to not wallow in the sadness or the the upset that you feel beyond the fact that you're already wallowing in it. And what I mean by that is that you observe it and you sit in it and you let it happen exactly what Emma's saying and you accept it and you don't try and force it or kind of put shame on yourself that you're finding it hard. Okay, look, let's get on to the actual topics that I wanted to speak to you about. And really for you, Emma, it was largely about how to be a good coach and how to be a good client, both of which will likely result in results and one or neither will likely result in no results so I wanted to start with tell me how you coach um, personally and professionally what is your kind of methodology and how do you create a map to success for your clients wow big question I know right thank you (laughs) I think it does have to start with meeting a client where they are and we see this all the time that we have various people come into the EC method it could be someone who's already in brilliant shape and and we get a lot of personal trainers that come because they want someone to coach them which again we can talk about was really important you put so much energy into your clients that you often don't leave any left for yourself which is why it's so useful to outsource that so it's meeting a client where they are like we're not going to give beginner programs to a personal trainer but equally we're not going to tell someone who has outright said to us I'm really nervous about going to the gym I've never done exercise before. I'd rather start with like home workouts to build my confidence. We're not going to say, no, sorry, four times a week, strength training in the gym. (laughs) That's the (laughs) end of that. Like it's meeting them where they are so that we can progress. And I think there's this idea that especially a lot of beginners have as well, that you need to be perfect to start and that I need to, you know, what do I need to do to get those results? Okay, well, that person trains five times a week, eats five times a day and always hits 15,000 steps. That's what I need to do. No, 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 no. Like actually the benefit of being a beginner, you can literally do anything and get results. Like go into the gym and look at a weight and you will get results. And that's why (laughs) it's so interesting when people are so nervous about saying, I just don't know where to start. It's like, you're going to get brilliant results doing three sets of 10 on a couple of machines that you feel comfortable on at the moment. And then we'll progress you from there. What you need to get out of client's head initially is 
this idea that there's a perfect diet, a perfect training program, or like a perfect program in general. The perfect program is the one that you can stick to. And that might change. Well, it will change. That's the whole point in coaching is that we adapt that as you progress or as things come up in life or as lockdown happens or as you hopefully don't, but you might get injured. And we amend to that all throughout coaching. It's about making it fit the client's life as opposed to making the client fit into a program. And mostly, like most good personal trainers know that. And the pushback often comes from the client. Like if you're doing five sessions a week, then I should do five. I'm like, no, because this is my job. I've been doing it for years and you have a hell of a lot going on. You're going back to, you need to study, you have a full-time job and three kids. Fitting in three sessions would be amazing. And realizing that you will get amazing results from being consistent and practicing some imperfect action, which I talk about all the time, as opposed to trying to fit in this like perfectionist mindset or this perfectionist ideal, which actually doesn't even really exist. So I was talking to a client yesterday. She felt like she was failing. And so I asked her what she would define as success and she couldn't define it. And I think so many people are in that mindset and I see it all the time in the EC method. Like, oh, what, what else could I be doing? You don't necessarily need to do anything else. And yeah. where is this like magic success? And I think it's not defined by people because they wouldn't ever let themselves achieve that anyway. So it's setting yeah. yourself up for failure. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And and Emma and I usually, mm, let's just say we do the EC method, we do eight weeks of pop and there are reasons, it's not an arbitrary number, we discussed and discussed and discussed like what we would frame the EC method one kind of term as. And we really try and get our clients to stay on for as long as possible. Because as Emma said, your results will change, your life will change your goals of what you actually want. Like I would say a lot of people come into the EC method with a very clear, immovable idea of what results they want. And by halfway through, those results could not be more different. And it's so interesting. And a lot of the time, by week six of our eight-week plan, a lot of people are asking us about self-sabotage. It's starting to happen. I started to get really good results. I started to get closer and closer and closer to my goal. And then it was just like, oh, screw it. I'm basically there now and they self-sabotage. And why do we think that happens? And Emma and I obviously aren't psychologists, but we have two decades of experience between us and a lot of qualifications. But Emma, what is your view on self-sabotage? Do you have any kind of theories as to why you think it happens to so many people? I have quite a lot of theories and I think it completely depends on the person. Like I I think a lot of people especially in maybe the more psychology world of this, or they say it's all to do with identity. I don't think that's always the case for everyone, but that is a theory that because you've always identified as this quote-unquote fat person, or you always in your head view yourself as overweight or as fat, or as we talk about a lot, you call yourself fat, which isn't a helpful thing because it's part of your identity then, as opposed to dissociating that and saying, I'm Emma, I have some stored body fat that I would like to lose. That's just a store of energy. That's all that fat is. And then that removes that from you as a person. For some people, that's part of it. But I don't think that's always the case. And there are physiological reasons as well, that some people Mm. reach what might be like a bit of a set point for them or where they're plateauing. And it's not, I mean, there's a physiology to that, but there's also just your lifestyle. So like how much you move and if that energy balance equation is sort of like stagnating there, then that's where your weight will normally sit and it'd be harder to move past that, partly because of adaptations to dieting, partly just because of your lifestyle. And a lot of people 
think that this is partly I think where the myth of the aging metabolism comes from now your metabolism does drop slightly when you age but it's almost directly attributable to a reduced lean body mass so if you can still go to the gym and you're still keeping as much muscle mass as you used to have then the amount that your metabolism will drop with age is very small yeah and what's usually happening is actually when you thought you had this fast metabolism at university when you actually <laughs> walked twenty thousand steps went out all night barely slept had loads played, of sex yeah <laughs> had loads of sex played in five different <laughs> sports teams went to the gym twice a day like all this stuff that was what was allowing you to quote unquote eat what you wanted and just maintain yeah. your weight or maintain an amazing physique lean physique yeah it's not the aging process. And I think when you realize that, you're like, oh, I can actually do something about that. I can move more or eat less. So I think there's loads of things that come into self-sabotage. I think it's quite deep for a lot of people, like why they're doing that. And, and I think actually what we just spoke about in terms of not being able to define what success would be, and they think they're self-sabotaging, but I think it's because they, they're close to what they think might be a goal of theirs, but they're not sure because they haven't identified it. And then they're losing motivation because A, it's a bit harder because as you become leaner, you're a bit hungrier and you're not seeing results as quickly because maybe you started, I don't know, 50 kilograms overweight and you were seeing the scales drop down every single week. Now you only have 10 kilograms of fat. It's very unlikely you're going to see week on week drops in the scale. So partly it's the motivation aspect as well. I mean, I could not agree more with everything you've just said. And I, both on a physiological and psychological standpoint. Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens, a comprehensive daily nutritional beverage. With so many stresses in life, it can be really difficult to get in enough fruit and veg, aka your micronutrients, that your body really needs. This is where Athletic Greens can come in and help. Their daily all-in-one greens powder is simply added to your day-to-day life with zero fuss. Just one scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, a multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more, all working together to fill in any any nutritional gaps that might be in your diet. It can increase energy, focus, increase digestion, and will support a healthy immune system without the need for you to take multiple supplements or worry too much. Athletic Greens is one formula based on the latest research, investing in absorbable and natural sources of each ingredient and going above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure that their customers receive a high-quality supplement. It is paleo, it's vegan, it's dairy-free and gluten-free, and it contains less than one gram of sugar. And right now, Athletic Greens will support your immune system during the winter months by offering my audience a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase if you visit my link today. You'll basically never have to buy vitamin D again. So whether you're looking for performance or health, just cover your bases with Athletic Greens and it will help you achieve it. Simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash podcast and join health experts, athletes and people around the world who want to make a daily commitment to their health. Again, you simply visit athleticgreens.com forward slash podcast and get your free year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs today. I have my own responses when people ask me about kind of the set point theory. And I've read 
a response that you had to one of our clients today on Facebook. And I was like, wow, that, I mean, that just blows my response out of the water. Can you just, just, I mean, I don't know if you remember giving this response. It was either last night or this morning. Yeah. So do you um, know what on... I did? I saw that they'd asked about set point and I went to my special notes section. Yes. So Emma and I love this. We have a special notes section where we do our research. And then obviously we kind of interpret it how we interpret it, like mentally. And then we write it down in kind of our own narrative voice. And then we use it for content. And this is what a lot of good fitness professionals on social media or who are online coaching will do. So my set point theory is a lot more, what should I say? It's a lot more rudimental than Emma's. Emma, please, will you just talk everybody through this? Set point theory is the idea that you will reach a point at which your body is quite like comfortable where it is and it won't want to move past that. And there is some truth in that. So people sometimes use like the thermostat analogy, thermostat analogy, which is that you set like a desired temperature, like on the thermostat or a range. And then when the temperature rises, the aircon comes on. And when it drops, the heating comes on. Your body works in quite a similar way in that when you end up eating more, you'll end up moving more. When you eat more, not all those calories get stored. A lot of them go to increased thermogenesis, to moving more, uh, to other areas that aren't just fat. And then when you reduce your calories, we have metabolic adaptation. So your body's trying to store as much energy as possible. It doesn't like that you've reduced your calories, so it will make you move less. It will reduce Mm -hmm. your BMR. Your thermoregulation will go down. Well, your heat production will go down slightly. All these factors come in to try and make you preserve as much energy as possible. So you can see that there is a bit of a set point, like your body likes where it is. If you try and move it too much one way, it will react. If you try and move it too much the other way, it will react. And I mean, the most obvious reaction for this would be like looking at hunger. So when you eat less, you become more hungry because your body's like, oh, I'd actually like some more energy. Give us some more food. When you eat too much, you're not as hungry because your body's already got enough energy. I love that explanation. I am so good at like, backing things up like I love an analogy but in like a really throwaway stupid conversational term Emma loves like a real analogy that she can apply to like science or theory that will make your average personal client like digest it very well mentally my general rule with set point theory is I'll just say to people yes genetics do play a role and your body does like its homeostasis and that is very specific to everybody however there is no set point because you can influence your set point by your behaviors, your actions and your choices. And also don't forget that over time, for various reasons, that set point will change. So let's say you have a set point as an 18 year old girl. And then by the time you're in your 20s, you know, you've added 10 pounds of lean body mass with muscle, your set point is now completely different. But I love that thermostat analogy. And I read that. (laughs) But if so, we can take that a little bit further as well. Because so I've written a little bit about how this system works because you might be thinking like whenever I read things like that I'm like yeah wouldn't that be great if that just works and it does work in some situations so for example in rats it works and when they don't have highly palatable food so if you just remove food from a rat and it will eat back to the its set point and if you give it more food it will end up moving more so it stays at about a set point when you live in like the actual real world and you're not a rat and there's loads of highly palatable <laughs> foods this doesn't work so well and in humans we seem to defend really well against weight loss but not so well against weight gain unfortunately but and it's probably through evolutionary pressures where yeah, it's going to be really bad to starve 
but it was very unlikely that we were going to eat too much because there wasn't that that much readily available food. And now we've completely flipped that and we live in a place where actually you're much more likely to die of obesity in this part of the world anyway than you are to die of starvation. Yep. Isn't that interesting? I mean, it's almost as if, and I say this all the time and I feel like I'm being, I feel like I'm going to offend everybody, but I don't know why, because it's not offensive at all, but it's almost as if we shouldn't be able to walk 10 yards and eat whatever the fuck we want until we want to be sick, walk another 10 yards and do it again and do it again. Human beings are not physiologically built to be able to handle that. We are built funnily enough to be able to handle starvation pretty well. But we are not built to be stuffing 5,000 calories down our throat and sitting on our arse all day playing Xbox. This isn't how it's meant to work. (laughs) That's one of the reasons I kind of like fasting is just to prove to people that you will be fine if you don't eat for a day. Like your body's really good at that. That's why like it's got so many mechanisms where it can keep blood glucose levels high enough that you'll be absolutely fine not eating for a day. The man that didn't eat for a whole year because he had a hell of a lot of body fat, like your body's amazing that's what that's what fat is it's a stored bit yep. of energy so that when energy. you don't eat it can be utilized not recommending not eating for a year that would be a bit <laughs> no but it's it's a good case study to draw on um which emma and i love doing okay so like let's move on to my next question which is more on the flip side of the coaching tell me what you think tend to be the common red flags with clients, the character traits that you often soon discover result in a dead end. Are there any kind of, oh shit, this could go either way with this one? Well, I think our favorite, which we talk about all the time, is people who come with excuses but aren't looking for a solution. And honestly, I think that almost is like the list in itself. If you come to us with with a problem, we will always, always, always try and help you. But you have to be looking for that solution. You have to want to come to us with a problem that you want solved because a lot of people come to you with an excuse. And the difference between an excuse and a problem is you're not looking for an answer to the excuse. You just want us to say, oh, yeah, that's really bad. That means you won't get any, like, I don't know, there's a reason for you not to get results. No, we'll always come back at you with a solution. How can we make this work for you? But it's a two way street. I think that that's probably my number one and almost like, that is the only list and then people who don't check in when they're struggling because that's the real check-in that matters they're like oh yeah when I'm when I do really well I love sharing it but then when I'm struggling I don't want to say anything and it's like we're good we're pretty good but we're not mind readers like we need to know when you need help and actually it's the hard check-ins in the weeks that weren't that good that are the ones that you need to be accountable for so I think those two for me and then listening because that's the other thing it's what what really frustrates me more than anything is people asking the exact same question which is fine if we've not explained it well enough if you're like I listened to your answer but I'm still wondering x y and z great keep asking go this is exactly what we want but if it's just the same thing again and again and you're not listening to the answer or you don't want to hear the answer and I think it comes back to you want that to be an excuse as opposed to looking for an answer and for the solution. A hundred percent. And and if you don't if you don't ask the question, you don't get the answer. And if you don't get the answer, you're never gonna get 
the result. It's that, it's that simple. It's not difficult. And I would say another one that we deal with, and, I, and this is kind of a subtopic in and of itself that we can talk about, is um, obviously Emma and I have a lot of women and we have a very broad spectrum of age range from people in their 20s to people in their 60s. And a lot of these women, both young and old, struggle with hormonal issues. I will put my hands up right now and say I have PCOS and I, you know, I'm quite well versed in that and I struggle with it too. And they know exactly what it dictates, both as a coach and as a client. Emma is particularly fantastic uh, with menopausal women um, and clients and absolutely understands that to a T. And what I see as a red flag is when you explain to anybody who falls in those hormonal issue brackets what they need to do, why they need to do it. And actually, it's not a roadblock. It's a hurdle. And actually, it's quite a small hurdle. It's a hurdle nonetheless, but it's a hurdle that we can absolutely jump and land very safely. And my red flag is when clients every single week, and you, like, I know you know, because I know you've seen it too. It's like, it's just my hormones. I just can't. You're talking to somebody who's very, very well educated on this, being Emma, and somebody who's literally a coach living with it. Listen to us. I mean, would you say that's something you found? I think that again comes back to the excuses part, because that, not saying that it isn't completely legitimate, that it might be harder, that you might be mm. struggling 100%. Like, if you need more support, that's what we're here for. But if you want to use that as an excuse, there's no way we can coach you without saying, but is there anything else I could do? Then that makes it a hell of a lot harder. So much of it is your own self-fulfilling prophecy of I'll never lose weight because I'm postmenopausal. And that is not a helpful thought. And even sometimes I'm like, yeah, okay, it's true. The stats show that most people put on weight during menopause. Is that thought useful? Even if it's true? No, because one, you're not a stat. like you don't have to be that average. Some people can absolutely lose weight during menopause. Some people can maintain their weight or build muscle or whatever it is they want to do. It's completely achievable. You're not the average, but you see something like that and you almost use it as a way out of, oh, that means that I don't have to achieve that either. And although it definitely may be harder and you might need more support, it's completely achievable if you have the mindset to do it and if you're willing to put the effort in to do it. I didn't think of it that way, of risking your life going to work. But seeing my colleagues pass away in our own ICU, it's just heartbreaking. Please stick with us for a while and just make our lives a little bit easier. And then we can all be together again. Behind every case, there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com. Supported by the Government of Ireland. Let's flip this on its head and uh, stop being Debbie Downer and be poly positive. What hints do you get early on? Like, oh, this client is going to be good. Like, this person is going to smash it. Like, are there any like common like sentences or occurrences that you hear or see, and you're like, oh, she's going to be, she's going to be a good one. I just think positivity and mindset shift. Yeah, I agree. I think and and enjoying the process. I think that's the main thing. Oh, I'm loving the workouts, and it's like day two. And yeah, of course, you've not seen any physical changes yet, but you're already feeling better. And I think that often precedes it. Like, although people are often come and they're like, oh, how long will it take to get results? Or we'll put up a transformation. They're like, how long did that take? After a while, you know, those things take time. Physical changes take time. But you will feel better potentially immediately. 
once you know you've got a plan in place, once you start implementing that, like your first day of fueling your body with good food, getting enough exercise in, getting in a workout, you will feel better immediately. And those are the results that come like really quick. And those are the results that matter, really. Because no matter what, everyone comes with a slightly different goal. But really, they're all there to look, feel and perform at their best or at least feel better about themselves in some way. And whether that manifests as fat loss or building muscle or just staying on track or developing your relationship with food, however that might manifest, like the emphasis is that you feel better. People come to the end of the eight weeks and they're like, oh, I hope you're not disappointed, but I've only, quote, unquote, only lost three pounds but I feel so much better in myself. Like it doesn't always have to be about weight loss. And I think that is coming up more and more that people are, are happy to to do a program where actually the end result isn't I lost X amount of weight. I find that really interesting actually how Emma, just on the, a much more kind of, what's the word, not practical, um, measurable, uh, say, but same point is that a lot of the time we'll have clients who'll be like, help you know I'm on week four now and I stopped losing weight and obviously I need to drop calories and da, 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 da. And obviously we'll ask for data and if we can see that this person is already quite light in terms of their scale weight in comparison to their height we'll be like can you just send us a picture so we can just see what's going on here you'd be shocked at the amount of women who send us photos who have no more body fat to lose nothing and they're like so should I drop my calories down to 1200 and we're like no, babes, we're going to push you up to 1800 because you're lean as fuck and it's time to get you, it's time to work you back up, right? And it's really interesting how um, we cannot tell you whether or not you achieved your goal or what your goal should be. We can't tell you, like that's very personal to you and it's very, very subjective. But it is very interesting how often we have women who have absolutely hit the goal. I mean, it's just undeniable, they've hit it and they don't even see it. Like, why do you think that even happens? Oh, it is crazy. And I also think there's almost like people feel they have to lose the weight before they deserve to be able to move into maintenance or hypertrophy. Yeah. Or like, have I lost enough body fat to now build muscle? If you want to build some muscle, crack on and build some muscle. You don't need to be like, you don't need to have reached a certain level of lean in order to then build muscle. And we get questions like that a lot. And I don't know how to get it into people's heads that you come to us with your goal and we help guide you towards that. We're not here to judge your goal. The only times we would ever do that is if you were too lean or you were, you know, well, actually, you probably wouldn't even say that, which is another sort of strange thing that if someone was like very overweight, we probably wouldn't tell them to lose weight because it's like not PC. (laughs) But then if someone was very lean, we would tell them to put on weight. No, actually, you know what? I would normally agree with you, but something's changed in me recently. And maybe it's this whole COVID situation and understanding that maybe we do need to be a little bit more, you know, hardcore uh, with not offending people who quite clearly do need to lose weight. And I think at this point now, if someone were to to upload a photo into the group and be like, what should my goal be? And they were quite obviously, you know, in an obesogenic body. I would, I don't think I would have an issue being like, I, I reckon that we need to start with at least. And Emma and I are very, very careful with giving people goal weights. 
well, we don't give people goal weights because it's, it's such a it's such an arbitrary number and it could it, and it's so transitory. I mean, anyone who's ever ever decided to weigh in every day will know how ridiculous it is. But I would have no problem being like, let's start with a small goal of ten pounds over the next you know few months and let's just try and do it because it's not healthy. And actually, that is new. That was not the case a couple of years ago. That has changed. Um, it is interesting. Like I've seen this on social media over the last couple of days. Actually, people talking about this new classification of eating disorder which is like people obsessed with building muscle to some extent that's all bodybuilders they're they're kind of categorizing people into that now they'll feel fine and there's almost a bit and I can't put my finger on why it's coming across this way but like shouting at people that they have a problem in like a yeah quite a nasty stigmatizing way which we would never ever do and I know especially the people that have put out that kind of message would never do to someone overweight because of the whole like health at any size movement and more like being bigger and accepting that but I mean I would argue that in many ways at least physically like a bodybuilder is healthier let's take like drug assistance aside than someone (laughs) I know it's gonna be like which category (laughs) yeah than someone who's very overweight for other reasons which do have health problems so I don't yeah, it's interesting seeing this. I think this has been unfurling for a while, this debate of you'll tell somebody that they're, you know, unhealthily skinny, but we can't, our society won't tell somebody that they're unhealthily fat and or vice versa. You know, I'm sure like 20 years ago that was flipped on its head. But yeah, I think now I'm starting to become a little bit more like to the point. I, I'm quite proudful of what I've achieved in my career as a coach, as I'm sure you are. And I trust, I back myself. I back myself to be able to say to a client, you're not healthy, either way of the spectrum. Um, well, I think the, really the important part there is like, you wouldn't walk up to someone on the street and be like, you're unhealthy, you need to Fuck lose weight. no. But, but if somebody's come, paying you yeah, to exactly. help. Yeah, they've come to you for your help, for your expertise, and like that's what they're getting. So yeah, I think that yeah. that does make it slightly different. I won't even talk to my friends about health and fitness. Like, we'll go for dinner. We'll go go to a wedding. Sit next to me. They'll be like, so, what should I do? And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm off the clock. I'm trying to have fun. I haven't sat here and t- told you to talk to me about your accounting business that you did you yeah. know, last week. I don't care. Like, don't. Leave me alone. Um, but if you're paying me, and Emma, you know, it's our job to be honest with you. Otherwise, what's the fucking point? Do you yeah. know what I mean? You know, we love all of our clients for who they are, not because so-and-so is really good at bench press or so-and-so's got abs or you've lost X amount of weight or anything like that. Like, we love them as people because they're funny, because they're caring, because they give a lot to the group. Like, then saying, oh, you've got a little bit of excess body fat that we think you'd be healthier if you lost isn't an offensive thing because it's not about them as a person. It's just energy yeah and there's no shame or guilt around that and I think that's a huge part of the mindset shift I love that kind of comparison between healthy bodybuilders and it's really interesting if you wade into the waters of a healthy athlete you're probably not going to find a healthy professional athlete if you look at the the mental endurance and the mental fortitude that that takes and then also you look at the social sacrifice that that takes and then you maybe look at overtraining, under recovery, um, obsession. But it's interesting that with athletes, we commend it and we put it on a pedestal because it's so amazing. With bodybuilders, it's just straight up narcissism because what can they do? Well, they can fucking transform their body to look like a Greek statue. Come on. It's, it's so interesting that you do. You put like, you'd put athletes on a pedestal. You'd put them on TV. You'd have them coming around to schools to advise kids on how to, you know, like it's like a motivational speaker has come and they've won the Olympics and blah, blah, blah. It's an obsession as well. So why is there such a big difference there? It's really interesting. 
it's really interesting and I also think I mean I, a lot of people this will offend a lot of people and I don't think this applies to everybody I do not think this is the general rule but I do think that there's a significant percentage of it that comes down to human jealousy to not being able to dig in and achieve that because everyone can let's be honest like you know even if you're in a wheelchair the Paralympics are <laughs> fucking amazing it, I'm sorry, but I think a lot of it comes down to people being like, I could never do that because I don't have the mental strength. Therefore, I'll point at that person and I'll say they're a piece of shit. Do you know what I mean? Or I'll say that they're, <laughs> they're unhealthy because they're obsessed. And you might say, and it'd be absolutely fine, and I mean, I agree with this, that you know they are a bit obsessed. It's very impressive. They're obsessed. I don't yeah. want to do that. That's fine. You don't no. need to say, I don't want to do it because they're unhealthy or they're obsessive or anything you could just say oh it's not in my values like it doesn't agree with my values I'd like to have a more balanced life I don't want to have to get up at five every morning and go for a run before I go to the gym and only ever eat x y and z like you can say that I want to be in great shape but I don't want to do all those things and that's completely achievable it's just not next Mm -hmm. level achievable but it's interesting that we I think because athletes it's like oh well it's their job so it's fine. Like they have the quote unquote right to do that. But as yeah. soon as it's someone else, it's like, no, that's obsessive. That's dangerous. They have a problem. <laughs> Weird. I would, I would, well, look, I mean, look, Emma and I are more than happy to stand up and say, it's not healthy. It's not healthy no, to no be a physique athlete. Though, are they? No, exactly. No extremes are healthy, period. And Emma and I will be the first people to stand up and say, eh, that's not healthy. Um, but it is funny, kind of the, uh, the contradictions that our society have about what physically healthy is and isn't. When actually when you work in the body, like Emma and I do, you get a much more broad picture of that. But okay, like we're getting close to the end. And I just, one of my last questions for you, I obviously have been following you for ages and I'm a huge fan of you as a coach. And now I work with you. I've been privileged enough to work with you every day and to see how you coach. And I've learned so much from you and I really love it. And we often talk behind the scenes because we're not douchebags about some of the other coaches out there and the the way that they approach things personally and professionally. If you had one tip for all the other coaches out there that you knew they were going to take on board, what would that one tip be? Prioritize your clients. And, and not your ego. And not your <laughs> ego, but also not social media. Or, you know, if, if you haven't replied to your clients yet, but you're more concerned with posting something on social media, or even like fishing for more clients on social media when your current clients aren't even happy, that is a problem. Um, but it should always come back to how much you care about your clients. Like the best PTs aren't the ones that are the most qualified. The best PTs are the ones that care the most about their clients. Yeah. And that's what a client wants as well. Like they care more about the fact that you are really invested and you care in their progress than they do about the fact that you went to uni for seven years or that you've got two degrees. A hundred percent. We talk about this all the time. Emma, Emma coined this term like, I'm a big believer that you should always look for a, a coach with qualifications just because right off the back that says that they're responsible and that they actually, in my opinion, have like a moral ethical compass and a professional pride. Like that to me is important. The second thing that I always say people should look for is experience, um, especially if you're paying good money for it, because I guarantee you right now, I have learned more. I learned more in the first year that I was coaching clients one-to-one than I ever learned 
or getting my qualifications. I, I, it was like a constant learning curve of that doesn't work, that does work. Oh, women struggle to squat. Oh, but they don't struggle to do RDLs. So it was really interesting. And as Emma always says, the third thing to look for, and I love it when you say this, is the personal in personal trainer. Somebody who really is invested in your results as much, if not more, than you. Yeah, and someone who believes that you can achieve what you can achieve often before you believe that you can. I think that's really empowering. And having someone who you know is in your corner that wants the best for you, which is exactly yes. what we do. Yeah, and what I just to blow smoke for us one one last time. What I love about us as coaches is that we actually really like it when there's a problem we haven't encountered before. <laughs> what I like, love about that? us. <laughs> we're like, one more thing I love that? about and we, us. <laughs> and why we're also great, but then we go away and we'll look into it, and then we get really excited about it and talk about it. Apart from that time. <laughs> You know what I'm going to say. No. Apart from that one time that we had to go and go away and research everything and anything there is to know about cellulite, and all, Emma oh, and I were God. just texting each other like, "This is so." I thought you were going to say about the one where someone was like, "How many calories are in sperm?" <laughs> <laughs> and what was it? Seven calories. It was like a nothing. Yeah. Wait. Yeah. We thought we might have <laughs> like got a protein jackpot, but no, no. <laughs> Jack. Anyway, okay, another thing is, obviously, because it's this time of year, December, January, um, I'm that kind of person that's like, okay, on a Monday, I will start. Or like, in January, I will start. And it, it's so funny, like, I always have to have like a very clear, definitive start. And Emma's brilliant at just being like, why then? Why don't you just do it right now? Just right now, just start. Um, so talk to me about, you know, December, January, we all know what, what happens at this time of year. Well, what is your viewpoint on starting a... a, a working towards a goal any goal I think my one of my favorite sayings is why put off until tomorrow what you could begin today and you're gonna get I mean what's the other one about like the best time to plant a tree was five years ago the second best time is now like now is the mm. best time to start and it's so funny because even I pick up myself doing this like if I was starting a new diet like yeah this typical thing is oh wait till Monday or even wait till January but even when you think about it, waiting till tomorrow, which is what I would do now if I was like, oh, I need to start a new diet. I'll, I'll get in my headspace so I can plan for tomorrow to start. Why? Start now from your next meal. If the goal is like fat loss, okay, can you make the next meal really healthy, nutritious meal, which doesn't blow your calories? Yes. Why are you yes. waiting till tomorrow morning to start that? It doesn't make any sense. And a lot of people at this time of year will want to start in January. Yeah. But I found from like years and years of coaching, and I, we've spoken about this before, and I know you found the same, that my clients who get the best results out of anyone in the whole year are the ones that start in December. And it's because yeah. they are doers. Like then they're, they're like, oh yeah, well, but I want to start now. Like, why would I wait six weeks when actually I could be way closer to my goal within that period of time? Why would I put yeah. that off? And it's having that mindset like right from the off that makes them way more likely to get results there's never a perfect time to get a dog as i've discovered <laughs> recently there's never a perfect time to have a baby there's never a perfect time to start a diet and the three things that people who know about all or have experience with all those three things will tell you is you make it fit into your life because you're never gonna have a full four eight twelve sixteen weeks you're just not it's just not gonna happen all right em so as always uh, i always like to leave it i just want to give you the floor to promote whatever you want to say whatever you want, give any last tips, tell people where to find you. You got the floor, babes. 
I'm not sure we've mentioned this, but actually Chloe and I run a coaching program <laughs> called the EC Method. You might have picked up on subtle hints throughout this, but that would be the best place to go if you want to work with us. It's a hell of a lot of fun. We have a lot of fun doing it. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, then you will definitely enjoy the EC Method. So that's www.theecmethod.co.uk. And you can find me on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at ESG Fitness. And you won't regret following her because her content is second to none. And you won't regret joining the EC Method because we are lols. Because one of the (laughs) things I love about us... Look, if we don't back ourselves, then what are we doing? Yeah, trying, do you know to, what? trying to back, back yourself. Eight hundred clients. I uh, I once had. I did a. I've done loads of writing courses because I love writing. One of my favorite writers is called John Niven. He writes really dark comedies. One of them is called Kill Your Friends. He's Scottish, actually. And he uh, his agent came and did a talk at uh, at my academy that I went to, and she said. You're never going to be a good writer. You're never going to be a good agent. You're never going to be a good editor if you don't have ego about your ability. If you don't think everybody should be reading this, like I can spot the best book. Like I will give this person money to, and take their book and publish it. You're going to fail flat on your ass if you don't back yourself. You don't have ego. So Emma's like, not just I that, but with. like as a coach, if you're not confident in your own ability, then how can your clients be confident in your ability as well? Like if we were like, we're we're quite good but we're not that good like who's going to want to work with us emma thank you so much for coming on babes you know i love you and i will see you tomorrow for our podcast (laughs) that does it for today's episode thank you guys so much for listening please remember to hit that subscribe button or that follow link so that you can be notified as soon as new episodes are released and don't forget to follow me on instagram at Madely Chloe for more health and fitness posts. I thought personally if I got it I'd be fine. Young people and sports people we think we'd be okay but the truth is that it can hit any of us hard like I hate not being able to play GA, not go out and socialise with my friends. The sacrifices are the only way so we really need to help each other along the way. Behind every case, there's a story. Protect yourself and each other. Be antiviral. Hear more at antiviralireland.com. Supported by the Government of Ireland. Sports Social Podcast Network.